We depend on all of you, our wonderful listeners, to help others find the show. Please take a minute to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen. We now have a bookshop. Any purchases through our bookshop will not only support us, but also independent bookstores. The link is on our website, fatalfemspodcast.com, right next to our Patreon link. And we have there listed all of the books that we have talked about on the episodes. So because of a family emergency, we had to change the order of our episodes. So The Black Coat's Daughter, which was supposed to be this week's episode, will now be part of our February lineup. Hello, and welcome to Fatal Films, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2020 Netflix mystery, Enola Holmes, directed by Harry Bradbeer, screenplay by Jack Thorne, and based on the first book in the young adult fiction series of the same name by Nancy Springer. Starring Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, Sam Claflin, and Helena Bottom Carter. To get us started, here is a synopsis. When Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother is missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot. So if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are some violence and scary scenarios. Yeah, I found that really interesting. There aren't that many triggers. The main things that I saw were just like um, women not being listened to, (laughs) if that can be a trigger. Yeah, I think that probably could be. So women not being listened to, and then, yeah, there is just, you know, a touch of violence and, you know, a few thrilling slash maybe scary scenes, There's, I guess, depending. There's some hand-to-hand combat and, like, some chemical explosions, but, yeah, nothing... Reactions. If you have an aversion to, I don't know, they talk about flowers a lot, maybe don't watch this. If you have allergies, don't watch this yeah. movie. <laughs> if your allergies are triggered by the mere mention of flowers and pollen, do not watch this movie. But this movie came out in 2020, and our last episode came out in 2020, so I thought in this one I would talk about a few of the good things that happened, because kind of... In the last one, we touched on a lot of the stuff that wasn't so great about last year, but... um, Well, and the reason I think, because both you and I... Oh, no, not for that episode. I was thinking of the mini episode for the Patreon. We were both in a funk, because that was the day after the insurrection, I think. Oh, yeah, it was. And today we're in much better spirits, because it's Inauguration Day. Giving away the day we're recording. Sorry about it. Yeah. But I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful and I want to reflect on maybe some good things in this dumpster fire of a year. I have cried a lot of tears of joy today so. Same. I've been having a lot of emotional responses and what I was thinking about is you know sometimes or not sometimes it's not a sometimes thing in order to express your emotions you have to feel safe Mm -hmm. and it's been so long since we had a time where our country felt remotely safe 
That's true. And I feel like I'm grieving everything that's happened for the first time. So it's been highs and lows, but I'm on a high moment right now. I can understand that. But anyway, so this is more for like a pick-me-up for everybody and then also for people in the future who are listening that might have been like, huh, what happened in 2020? <laughs> Her, I was going to say, did anything happen that was good? Um, so Joe Biden was elected president of the United States. Scotland became the first country to make period products free. The 2020 election saw the most voter participation in 120 years. More than 370 religious leaders joined forces across the globe to push for a global ban on conversion therapies. And for those who don't know what that is, that's any treatment attempting to change someone's sexual orientation or identity. Which shouldn't even exist in this day and age. Thanks to stay-at-home orders, animal shelters were emptier than ever, and animal adoption was on the rise. Aww. That's really sweet. Everyone's gotten a dog. People around Besides the world me. rose up to protest police violence and racial injustice. And in May, Crayola unveiled its most inclusive skin tone crayons ever. The Colors of the World pack includes crayons that represent over 40 skin tones, giving kids a chance to accurately color themselves into the world. So yeah, it wasn't all bad. There were like <laughs> 10 good things that happened. <laughs> there was more. Those were just some of the ones that made me happy. So I picked them out. Obviously, I'm just so funny. I had to make a joke because I'm a comedian. Interesting thing. This is our second Sherlock Holmes uh, in the world of that we're talking about. Our first one was the Japanese TV series Miss Sherlock. I forgot we did that show. That was a few years ago, which is a really good series. I haven't finished it because like everything you get bogged down and you always jump from show to show at least I do oh yeah I do that's why I have a hard time with tv series like if I make it through the first season of something I count that as good and then if I come back and watch more of it it's like whoa this must be one of my favorite shows yeah the last thing I fully finished was Bridgerton which I don't know if I should be admitting that but here we are (laughs) I really want to watch that one it's great, but like I told you and Casey at, on our um, New Year's Eve live stream, I cannot prepare you for the amount of intimate scenes in episode six, I think it is. It's it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> but I mean, well scored and cinematography just through the roof. So yeah, Enola Holmes is... It's not a straight-up Sherlock adaptation because it focuses on Sherlock's little sister, whereas Miss Sherlock was like a gender-swap Sherlock Holmes. Right. This is like a continuation of the story later on or an adaptation. Or maybe that's not the right term. Yeah, it's like set in the world of... Yeah, because I guess I would consider Miss Sherlock also an adaptation because it takes the original story and adapts it for a different time, different types of characters. This hasn't been out very long. This has been out since September. Yeah, I remember first hearing that 
Millie Bobby Brown was going to produce this a couple years ago, I feel like, or maybe it was just a year ago. Time, who knows. Um, and then you watched it and you said, it's really good. Let's put it on the schedule. Yeah, this was one that I thought would be a really good addition, especially not that we have that many young listeners, but I'm sure some of our listeners have children. And I think this would be a great one to watch with the whole family because we don't have many of those that we can do. Right. Um, I think the worst language is Mycroft says like hell or go to hell or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, overall, like the themes, it's pretty mild. Like I said, there's like some action, some thrilling moments, a little bit of violence. So, you know, take that with your own discretion. But overall, it's a pretty tame movie. And I think um, as a tween or teen, I would have really liked this movie. Oh, yeah, we probably would have been obsessed with this when we were kids. So we open with Anola on her bicycle and she voiceover is used a lot in this movie and that's we talked in oh the wilds about flashbacks and voiceover is another thing that a lot of people especially like in screenwriting classes and stuff they'll be like I don't use voiceover but I think the voiceover works really well in this well it's it's not even just voiceover she's talking to the camera like she's breaking the fourth wall and narrating to the audience playing directly at them there was one point where she like turns to the camera and asks if anybody has an idea and i got like dora the explorer flashbacks for a second (laughs) swiper no swiping but yeah she's riding her bicycle clearly she's not very good at it she takes a fall And ends up with mud on her dress and her face. And she's telling us that she's not very good at it. But she's listing off these things. She's like, the first thing you need to know is... And I think the first one was, my name is Enola, which is uh, backwards spells alone. Mm -hmm. And then she's, yeah. We get, we right away get the world building of, okay, who is she? She talks about her mom. We see some things about their life cut back and forth between what she's telling us and then her riding her bike. Yeah, I don't know if this is the best way to describe it, but it kind of looks like they utilize like little paper dolls of each character. And they're like real life. They look like little photographs, but they kind of like pop up, if you will, um, on the screen so she's like you know this is my mother this is my father these are my brothers my dad died and when her dad died when she says that the dad kind of falls away and then she's like and then my brothers moved off and the brothers you know their little cutouts go away yeah it's it's a really fun animation style that also looks kind of like an old victorian card or like paper dolls or something like victorian card meets paper dolls is exactly what i said or do you remember they used to have i don't know if this is a thing or if i'm making it up because it very well could be that i'm making it up but didn't they used to make like little theaters almost and they would have different cutouts that you could like make plays with yes it's kind of like that Mm mm-hmm so maybe that's more what they were going for. I just didn't immediately think of it. But yeah, right away, 
um, Millie Bobby Brown just establishes herself as as the main character. You, and Enola is off the bat. She's very witty. She's spirited. She's insightful, extremely intelligent. And you just get the sense that she hasn't had a traditional upbringing. No, not at all. Her mother is played by Helena Bottom Carter. She was very grateful for this part because it was one of the smallest roles she's ever played, but it had, it was a very meaty role. Yeah, because Eudoria is the biggest influence and presence in Enola's life. So yeah, she's not in the movie a ton for reasons that will be disclosed later, um, or very soon actually. But you feel her presence throughout the movie because they come back in the form of Enola's memories or lessons that she's learned, things like that. But she's really given Enola kind of a very unusual upbringing for a lady or a a girl of that time because she's been taught to play sports. She's played chess. She's even done hand-to-hand combat and also had art. And at one point she talks about um, her mother made her read yeah. every book in the library. And she, they do science experiments. Definitely not the typical mother-daughter but relationship in But they're also closed Victorian off from England. the world. She has no outside friends, it appears. I don't think they really get any visitors. It's just Enola, her mom, and do they have one servant? Maybe two? It seems like they might have a maid. And possibly somebody else. Not a lot, because it's definitely... Definitely not a well-maintained estate because they do live on a quite a large mansion, Um, but it it definitely looks lived in. It doesn't have the look of the stately country homes um, that you're used to. Mycroft gets there and you see the state of the house and he's like, I've been paying for a gardener and all this stuff. So clearly maintaining the house wasn't a priority. But she said um, that they're very kind of cut off from society or they're isolated. And sometimes that wasn't uncommon back then, particularly if you're if it was a widow or some someone like that. Like a lot of times they wouldn't necessarily be in society. So I think this is like kind of an unusual situation of her being cut off and kind of uh, molded by her mother. I don't know how unusual it would have been to have a widow living in the country and not really getting out that during much. that time period i don't know because i think back on like jane austen and um stuff like that and anola is 16 so she's about the age where she would have started having like her coming out parties and stuff yeah i mean typically that okay. was reserved a little bit later that still would have been a little bit young, yeah. but she would have been And clearly she is debut. not doing that at all. Random. No, she, I, th- I think they even reference it. Like she's not, she doesn't really have a lot of ladylike qualities that you come, you have come to expect of Victorian women in these, in these thing in these type of movies. Um, you know, she's riding a bike uh, she falls full, face first into the mud, covered in the mud, and yeah, doesn't, doesn't even really, really wipe think it much away. about it. Just she hears a train whistle in the distance, and so she pops back on her bike and 
gets to the train station as fast as she can to meet her brothers. As she's riding her bike to the train station to meet her brothers, she starts giving us a little bit of the backstory on why her brothers are coming to visit. And it's because on her 16th birthday, her yeah, mother just completely without a trace, no note, no, hey, I'll be coming back. Right. So it's been about a week. No sign of mom, no word. So she's reached out to her brothers because she's not sure what to and do. And she she's hasn't all seen on her them. Own. I, I, yeah, I don't know if they say exactly, but she's many, probably many in at least 10 years. Yeah, because a little bit later on, Henry Cavill, I'm sorry, Sherlock. I, I'm just going to say it right now. I never really get him as Sherlock in this whole movie. So I might call him Henry Cavill and not Sherlock. But Sherlock later on refers to the last time that he saw her. She, they couldn't keep pants on her. So she would have been and very I'm young. I'm curious. I think maybe they're using pants in the British term, which means underwear. Yeah, like a nappy yeah. or something like that. Because one time in a hostel, I told this lady that a guy didn't have any pants on. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she, through the course of the conversation, she thought I meant he was walking around stark naked. And I just meant that he didn't have any trousers on. <laughs> Yeah. She just thought you meant he was Donald ducking it around the hostel. So, yeah, her brothers show up at the train station, and Mycroft is right off the bat uh, completely upset with how she looks. Uh, Well, they don't even recognize her. She's standing there smiling, happy to see them, and they just walk right past her. And she's like, Mr. Holmes, Mr. Holmes. And that's when they stop and they're like, who are you? Yeah. So, yeah, Mycroft is not pleased with her appearance. Sherlock is intrigued by her. Like, he can tell that she's got a spark to her, that she's very intelligent. But Mycroft is just seeing a big old problem. could embarrass him. Yeah, yeah. He's super mean to her right off the bat. Like, I know Mycroft isn't ever pleasant but he is just straight up a jerk in well in the the bbc benedict cumberbatch version and also in the um original source material mycroft is just as brilliant as sherlock maybe even more brilliant but he doesn't want to do anything except play politics that's the thing it's like the Sherlock children or the home, the Sherlock children, the Holmes kids, like they're all incredibly bright. And that's something this time around, like you can tell Mycroft is intelligent. Yeah. Which I never knew if he was actually really mean or if he was just practical, but there was a lot of anger behind if, if, if that's where he was coming from, if he was trying to be practical in his portrayal of Mycroft, yeah. it came through with a lot of anger. Which I guess I'd be mad too if I was like funding my mom's lavish country life and I go see that she's let the whole place go in disarray and all of these things that she said that I paid for. And then she also just aren't there. disappeared. Yeah, she just dips. So, you know... I can see being angry, but he definitely puts it all on Enola. Like it's her responsibility to pay pen or make penance. I don't know. I don't know how to say like, that. What do you say? Like make 
to make amends or he holds her responsible. It's like, you know, all of this is gone crappy, but, you know, yeah. now you're just going to have to do it. And also told never so mind that the two brothers haven't bothered to come visit them in, like I said, at least 10 years. But a little bit more that we learn about the disappearance is Enola's mom left a, her birthday present for her, gave it to the maid to give to her. And it is a box mm-hmm. with some drawing pencils in it and a little book called The Language of Flowers and this little like decoder wheel, which I thought was fun. It's like, oh, you get your own decoder wheel. Yeah. And so each each card has like a different, it's like they're little hand-drawn cards and they each have a little message on them. And so this is the last thing that she has from her mom. And all that she has to, like, hold on to during this difficult time. Because, of course, the brothers come right in and are, like, just taking over. Yeah, Sherlock is very consumed by the mystery of the disappearance. Like, that's kind of where his head is at. It's like, okay, well, where did she go? How did she get away? Why did no one see her? Why would she leave? And then Mycroft is just trying to do damage control. He's like, well, this is terrible. So obviously we have to change everything. And Enola, you have to go to boarding school and, you know, be finished as a young lady. Right away, there's not even any like, oh, let's do a transition or see how you feel about these things. It's just like, no, I've called this woman. She's going to come pick you up. You're leaving the only place you've ever lived before, and you get no say in any of this. So um, the headmistress of the finishing school that Mycroft is wanting to send her to is, um, her name is Miss Harrison, and she's very stern, and she comes in and immediately starts talking about how she could stand to lose a few pounds, because she takes her measurements, like, right away, and like, oh, that could be smaller, oh, that's adequate, and Enola's just kind of sassing back at her, like, you know, my body's fine, and they have all these back and forths, and this woman slaps her in the face, which probably would have been extremely common back then for, a child to be hit but just seeing it happen especially as you've come to know Enola like at this point we haven't we, we might be 30 or 40 40 minutes into the movie if that and you you like her and you want her you want her to be happy I don't that feels really vague. yeah you've seen that but you're on her side person and nothing she's doing is wrong and she's only acting in a way based on how she was raised and her mother didn't have her wear corsets or raise her to be worried about her body type so why now is it a big deal or to make sure she had gloves oh yeah when she meets him at the train he mycroft said you have no gloves and no hat and she goes well i have a hat but it makes my head itch and I don't have any gloves. Yeah, so in Mycroft's mind and I guess Sherlock's as well, like he, Sherlock is like, eh, this isn't like what I would do, but I don't want to fool with this because I just, yeah, he's, I don't know what I'm doing. And don't get me wrong. I Checked out. like in The Witcher and everything, I really like Henry Cavill. He just wasn't right for yes. Sherlock for me. One, he's too hot. Well, it's not even too too handsome or too good looking. But, I mean, he is so 
ripped you can like see it through his clothes like the way that his he's wearing his clothes it's just like a man of that time period would yeah. not have been built and that way like he had more the build of like a boxer or a wrestler from that time period than than a and gentleman just, I, I like yeah didn't he doesn't wear a hat, hat nothing there were some things that i liked about his performance but I could have used a little, like you said, he seemed fairly disinterested in all of it. Yeah, it was kind of, what did you say? He wasn't so much Sherlock, more just like English. Yeah, he dude. was very much like gentlemanly, but not, yeah. Sherlocky. Because Sherlock wasn't necessarily a gentleman. He was, he was perceived, like that was his station, like he was considered a gentle a gentleman of town, I guess. But he wasn't necessarily yeah, a no, gentle was, gentleman. Sherlock Holmes was a very unpleasant person. So I understand them making him, you know, a little yeah. bit nicer, more palatable for children's book series and everything. But, yeah, but he came off just like, kind of disaffected. Eh, I guess I'll kind of look into mom's missing thing. but Well, and the thing with Sherlock, too, is like Sherlock has a lot of eccentricity to him and he has like he just sees the world in a different way and I didn't see that yeah from Cavill's portrayal I just got kind of like I'm going to stand very straight in my jacket <laughs> and look I noble, can't move and because that will of do my it. muscles <laughs> I'm much too ripped for this. I didn't tiny read it, but there was an article, <laughs> I guess, that said his costume was really uncomfortable or something. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe he really couldn't move. It was just, I mean, and like I said, I love Henry Cavill. I will watch any movie he's in. It's just that I just did not see, see that casting choice. Like there were like an, at least. Apparently Netflix wants to try to get him in as many of their things as they can. So that I mean, and I support that. I stand by that. Um, <laughs> but maybe not this one. But he deduces that mother left, planned to leave, and wasn't coming back. Because her drawing pencils were used down to nubs, and she didn't replace them. And there was just all these clues about that this was something she was planning and it wasn't a spur of the moment thing which is not good news for Enola and yeah she's very upset about going to this boarding school she runs downstairs during the fitting to tell her brothers that she's not going and that she is like a refined lady mm -hmm. and everything and Mycroft says well if you are then why are you standing here in your undergarments talking to me well and basically she's that would mean that she's lady. off his hands now because she's his ward he's responsible yeah. for her until she marries and then her husband's responsible for her yeah I got that I just I thought it too was more about well but also I yeah, got that he's too afraid of anything that might embarrass or tarnish the Holmes name Yes, and in his view, Enola would be very embarrassing as she is. So he wants to remedy the situation and, as quickly as uh, possible. The headmistress comes downstairs and is like, Oh, yes, we've been having a little chat and we're going to be the best of friends and it's all great. She should have elbowed her in the stomach right there. I'm not for violence, but also. So this is her she last night. She's violence. leaving the next day. She's trying to figure this out. Sherlock has given her some guiding advice about solving a mystery 
something about I think like looking for what's not there. Yeah, but she ends up getting really frustrated and kind of like she throws hitting she picks the, up the desk. The what does she have the box and throws on? Them. And in it is a little note. Yeah. And <gasps> and what does written, the note say? Well, the letters are all backwards and the words are messed up. But when she gets it, it says Enola look at my chrysanthemums or check my chrysanthemums so she tiptoes into her mom's room and there's a bouquet of flowers in a pitcher and she dumps the water out on the floor looks through the flowers nothing in the pitcher nothing in the flowers and then there is a picture of chrysanthemums that her mother painted and she goes over to that and finds an envelope of money stashed behind the picture. So she digs some clothes out of a trunk, some boy's clothes, dresses as a boy, and heads off on her adventure. Yeah, so she escapes the mansion and is on the run to the train station. And she even thinks to leave a decoy to make people think that she went a different way. She gets her bicycle and leaves it on the side of the path and is like, Oh, I was starting to get the hang of that. Oh, well. So we can take a second here and actually talk about the lady of the show, Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah, let's do. I, like I'm sure everybody else, became aware of her because of Stranger Things. One of the youngest actresses to have a producer credit because she's just 16. Yeah, this, this, um, yeah, her and then, um... There's another young woman who is on. She did Black-ish. the movie Little, right? What is her name? Yes, she was. She became the youngest ever producer. Um, her I name. I still want to see that movie. Is I heard it was Marseille really Martin. I want to see it too. Um, but Millie Bobby Brown actually is the reason, a big reason, why this movie got made because she's a fan of the book series along with her sister Paige, and she approached the writer, Nancy Springer, was like, hey, we should make this into a movie and was able to secure funding for the movie while working on, uh, I think it was Godzilla. So her and her sister are both producers on Enola Holmes. So, and it was because they were fans of the books. But it's like, can you imagine having that kind of pull at 15 and 16? Not at all. Like I told my mom, I didn't know how to do hardly anything at 14, let alone figure out how to produce a movie. Granted, I wasn't in the business. You know, that helps if you're around other people who know how to do this, but still. Well, yeah, she was in the business. She, She was around people of that industry and she made a name for herself really quick with Stranger Things. She was also in another show called The Intruders, but I've never seen it. She was born in Spain. Um, She's the third of four children mm -hmm. of English parents, and she's a British citizen through her parents. Um, The family moved to Bournemouth in Dorset when she was around four, but then when she was around eight, they moved to Florida. And she was born with partial hearing in one ear and gradually lost all hearing in that ear over several years. And she now spends her time between London and Atlanta. Oh, wow. So she only can Which hear is out of one ear. interesting um, because I can imagine that that makes acting difficult. You got to make sure that you have the person on the right side of you or you can't hear them. Well, yeah, because we have a friend that has um, hearing loss in one ear. And we know if we're on 
their side that they've lost hearing and we know to like tap them on the shoulder instead of yeah. trying to talk to them because they won't hear us. Um, oh, in April of 2018, she was named one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine and she became the youngest person to be included on that list. And she was also the youngest person ever to be appointed a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. UNICEF. Un- Thank you. My brain wouldn't UNICEF. Do it. <laughs> My brain wouldn't make the word. But yeah, but she was also... Um, they made her into a sim. Oh, wow. On Sims 4. EA Games announced in, I think it was November 2018... Um, that she would be part of the Sims 4 Positivity Challenge. So I don't know if she's still in the game. I think she might be part of like the Sims ah. Get Famous or thing. I don't know for sure. But yeah, so she, she, she made was the her Sims. feature film debut in 2019 in the sequel to Godzilla titled Godzilla King of the Monsters. I haven't seen that one, have you? I haven't, but this is where she was able to secure. And then she's going to be in Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, I don't know how much acting she gets to do in those. Like, I don't know how much range she gets to display, but oh, yeah. I'm sure it brings in a good paycheck. Those movies, I don't care for those movies at all. I have never gotten into King Kong. I've never gotten into Godzilla. Not my thing at all. She's going so, to be hope in she makes a, lot of a money. film adaptation of The Thing About Jellyfish. But huh. she's been nominated for a lot of awards because of Stranger Things. Yeah, Stranger Things is really her, as we all know, is her claim to fame. She was cast to play Eleven, or what was her name? They L. They called her L, or Eleven. Um, yeah, and I, I think that show's Screen great. Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Drama Series. And a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. She won a Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series. And she won the 43rd Saturn Award for Best Performance by a Younger Actor in a Television Series. Yeah, and so she's been nominated so, for you know, Emmy that's a lot of Emmys twice for someone as young as she is. Yeah, sixteen or she might be seventeen now. Good career ahead of her, especially if she's getting into producing now, because that's where a lot of money gets made, and most people don't get into that until they get a little bit older. Well, and that's it's a really smart move on her part because, like you said, I think she's going to have a very long career, and if she's producing, that's going to allow her to make choices. Um, on the kind of films she wants to make yeah. more so than if like, she wasn't doing the that. The big difference between Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad and Harley Quinn in um, Birds of Prey that was produced by um, Margot Robbie. Thank you. Margot Robbie. So, and it lets you have a lot more control over your yeah. career. I bet she's directing probably by like her 20s t- as well. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that happening. Look for her to probably, ah, she maybe might. she'll direct an episode and of Stranger they Things. Are, I read that they had intended for this to be the only Enola Holmes movie, but that she enjoyed the character so much that they're working on a sequel. So who knows? She might be directing that too. Well, and that's crazy to me that this was, she kind of intended this as a standalone in the beginning because it leaves off yeah, it for does. a sequel. I mean, 
Yeah. And on that note, should we get back into the script? Or not the so script, but get the back way to the story. to the train station um, in another town because she knows that she can't go to the train station near her home because they'll find her. They're looking for her. She has a run-in with a useless boy who she finds out is Tewksbury. What is his full flippin' title? It's something crazy. It's like... Hold on, let me see if I can find it. It's... Because, see, they just have him listed as Tewksbury, but he's like the Marquess of Basilwather. Yeah. Which, blah, blah, I was blah, reading blah. one thing I don't know. that said apparently nobody would have called him that once he inherited his title. He just would have been the Marquess of whatever. Okay. He is the Viscount Tewksbury. So, yeah, so she, she sees on the platform that his parents um, have, like, a police inspector and the train conductor. And they're like, our son is on there. and We need to find him. They're yeah. like, lady, this train's going. And they've already can't looked find on him. the train. He's not there. And then you see this guy get on as the mother's kind of having a conniption. She's like, I need someone on that train looking for my son. And you see this guy yeah. get on the train. He has this bowler hat. And he kind of like nods at her. So you get the feeling yeah, I that I thought he was like a private involved. detective or something. Yeah, I figured so it was something like that. Finds her compartment, is settling in, and then all of a sudden this giant bag that's up on the rack above the seat across from hers starts like wiggling and a knife sticks out of it and then it literally falls off, which would hurt a lot. And out of it pops Tewksbury. And she, being as smart right. as she is, knows that he's the one that they're looking for because who else is going to be hiding in a giant bag? But um, she's like, she's like, get out. I don't you want get this. Out of here. Somebody's looking for you. You're going to get me in trouble. Because, yeah. Because she and I'm figures to mind that my business. <laughs> they'll find him and then they'll start asking questions about her because she's dressed like a boy, but I don't think it's all that convincing because he immediately is like, you're a funny looking boy. Um, and so she's basically is like, okay, if you won't leave, I'm going to leave. But there's this guy looking for you. Watch out for him. She heads off down the train. But... This is another thing back to her being a kind-hearted person. She n decides, I guess, to go back and check on him. Well, yeah, because as she's leaving, she passes the guy, the bowler hat man, as I call him. She passes him, and then she kind of hears they're having, like, a scuffle. And so she decides to go back. And that's when she sees bowler hat man, who's also known as Linthorn, um, dangling Tewksbury... Out of the train. Yeah, he's like holding gonna him kill out him. the door, waiting for them to come up to this tunnel. So I guess like it would rip his head off. Yeah, smash and him so against the she wall. Hits the dude with his own cane and rescues Tewksbury, and they're on the run. But you're on a train. Where are you gonna go? So they get out behind the coal car, and she says, "It's a very Aladdin moment. Do you trust me?" And he goes, "No." Um, so she 
Yeah, she grabs him and she's like, too times bad. it just right <laughs> so that they jump off right before they go over this bridge so Bowler Hat Man can't jump off after them. Yeah, but they narrowly yeah. escape death because they like roll onto the rocks that lead to like a yeah, drop they off right and they like the stop the cliff, right before. Basically. Yeah, so they escape death only yeah. to once again escape death. So then, yeah, they're on the run, they're running they're walking through the countryside and on their way tells her his story that his family wanted him to go into the army he didn't want to do that he was afraid that he was going to hate every minute of his life he inherited the title because his father recently died but what he likes is flowers and cooking yeah and he actually knows how to forage wild plants because I think Enola makes a comment about we need to find some food because otherwise we're not going to last very long. And he's like, oh, well, I can forage. I know how to, like, cook all of these things and make these mm-hmm. things for us to eat out of these plants. So, yeah, he's able to forage a bunch of edible plants yeah, like and roast some make mushrooms them some food. Or- yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but they ate it. But, again, it was like, I think this movie does a really good job of subtly turning those gender cliches on their head because Enola is the more assertive one that's trained in combat and all of these other things. And Tewksbury is the one that's more the yeah. gatherer, if you will. Like it's like that kind of skill set would typically be relegated to a female. Role. And so to help him hide, she gives him a haircut and does an yeah, amazing I know. job. She's just it doing looks it professional. with like a Swiss Army knife out in the forest, and it's like, oh well, that's not going to look good. Everybody who's been giving themselves their own haircuts during the pandemic, they they know that his they hair know. would not have turned out like that, <laughs> unless Eudoria fit some barbering lessons in between combat and oh. tennis and reading and she science. She just didn't talk about it, but yeah, useful skill. <laughs> but she does tell him that when they get to London, they're parting ways. She's got business to do. And she doesn't have time so for his they, nonsense. They do, you know, they have this nice little bonding time and they hitch a ride in the back of a sheep cart. But once they get to London, she's like, peace out. She's like, good luck. Hope you get to sell your flowers or I don't know what he wants what's he's told her he wants to do but hope you get to do that and I'm gonna go find my mom bye she's never been to the big city before and this is a cluster of people honestly and I I hate bringing everything back to the pandemic but it's kind of like how I feel anytime I have to leave the house it's like there's people everywhere it's like, this is just chaos. There's too much yeah. happening. Um, I need a timeout. The narrow and there's people and there's horses and she almost gets run over by a carriage and there's mud and she says that she has to become the thing that is unexpected. So she goes into this dress shop and of course she's dressed like a boy. So the lady selling the clothes is like, what do you want with those clothes? Um, but it's a really beautiful red dress that she gets. I really liked it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, because the lady's like, we don't want your business in here because she thinks it's a boy. And, or she thinks Enola is a boy. 
And then Enola's like, oh, and like pulls out a wad of cash. And all of a sudden the woman's like, oh, yeah, I don't of care course, where right goes, this way. <laughs> Suddenly my mind is open. But yeah, so I guess while we're here, let's talk about the costumes. Because I think the costumes in this are fantastic. So let's the talk costumes about were it. done by Consolata Boyle. Consolata. Um, she's an Irish costume designer yeah. based in Dublin. And she's done costumes for quite a few things. She has uh, been nominated for Academy Awards three times for the Queen, Florence Foster Jenkins, and Victoria and Abdul. So pretty good credits right there. I've seen the Queen. I don't recall the costumes. I mean, they were good, but they they weren't as period as these are. Um, But yeah, I think the costumes in Enola Holmes are Uh, great. Boyle attended Holy Child... Kalini Secondary School in County Dublin, Ireland. Um, she's a graduate of the University College of Dublin in Archaeology and History, where she was involved in the University Society Dramsock. And she trained as a costume designer. I'm okay, doing she a trained as a costume designer at the Abbey Theatre and began her career in the early 80s. And she did postgraduate um, work in textiles at West Surrey College of Art and Design. But she's got a lot of really good credits. Um, the only one that I've seen, aside from Florence Foster Jenkins... Oh no, I've seen Philomena. Um, I've seen Widow's Peak. That was a fun one. But she did Angela's Ashes, Into the oh. West, Testament of Youth, Miss Julie, The Iron Lady. Oh, no, I saw The Iron Lady. Oh, she's worked with Meryl twice. Yeah, I've seen The Iron Lady and Angela's Ashes. But it says that she and her team custom designed, dyed, and made the costumes for the main cast and the background of actors in this movie. Approximately 30 costumes were created for Enola, and costumes such as the red powder puff dress had to be repeated several more times because of the physical role and any damage that might occur during the fight scenes. Yeah, because that's when she, she's wearing that. She has the big fight in the warehouse. The powder puff dress was based on mm-hmm. theatrical costumes of the period, and Boyle wanted to use red, the color of courage. Boyle's favorite was Enola's final dress. It used the same shape as the first dress Enola wore while riding the bicycle, bringing the costumes back full circle, but also the natural, untreated silk used in the final dress had no strong color and allows for anything to happen next. The colors violet, green, and ivory were associated Mm. with the suffragette movement, so Boyle consciously made use of those colors in the costumes. Hmm, I didn't know that. Purple just had a very big moment on... The global stage as our War, an new vice president. Today. Yes. Oh my God. We have a female. I heard something today and it made me cry. It's no ch- child after today will remember, will, will remember a time without a vice president that was a woman. Like that won't be a precedent. It, it won't be something to look to or to think about achieving. It won't be a goal. It will already have happened. Like any kid well, born after this. Like our friend Laura, Laura Ray, who's on the sh- who's been on the show many times, she just had a beautiful baby. Her baby will never know a time without where there wasn't a female vice president. I know mm. it's so powerful. Okay, okay, holding it together. Mm. 
So yes, we're in London now. Enola has her disguise and she is searching. Yeah. On the And she remembers a letter that her mother had written. That there was one person that her mother regularly corresponded with. And she said it was very naughty of her to memorize the name and the address. But when you live in the country, you have to look for excitement wherever you can. So she goes to this place to find <laughs> the woman. And it's this tea shop. Um, and upstairs is a m- martial arts studio. And there's a whole bunch of women in there practicing jujitsu. Which just seeing a period film of that time and women fighting? Like... Yeah. Using combat was so strange. I was like, I've never seen no, this that's before. Okay. And then on top of Sorry, that, please continue. the woman who's leading this is a woman of color. So you've got two unexpected things right there that just automatically make this movie so much better. I was going to see if I, her name was Susan I really Lacola. liked her. She played Edith. She didn't have a huge part. I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. she's important in the plot, but she doesn't have like a bunch of screen time, but I every yeah. time she was on, I really liked her. Yeah, it was it was a it was a small and but impactful And so we find role. out that she was Anola's first martial arts teacher. Um Anola doesn't remember this, but she knows, she recognizes Anola right away and Anola tells her I need help finding my mom and she's like no she has a reason for what she does what does she say she I think she this is when she says if you want to stay in London be tough be tough live the life but don't do it because you're looking Mm -hmm. for someone do it because you're looking for yourself and while she's there she sees these crates of fireworks in the corner with um a dragon on it I think and she also remembers that she accidentally walked into a room where her mom was having a meeting with some people. And she, again, remembers that her mom likes ciphers and word puzzles. So she works it out until she deciphers that Ellie Houseman means Limehouse Street. or Limehouse Lane, I thought. And so she goes there and she finds this, like, firework place... But also she finds plans for a bomb. And she finds those bombs in the corner. And on the lock to this warehouse is a little purple ribbon. So she knows she's in the right place. But also at this place, she finds the man in the brown bowler hat. Who proceeds to not only try to drown her, but... Because she said that she doesn't know where Tewksbury is once she starts fighting back. Because she does the thing that I don't know why more people don't do. I guess because if somebody's trying to drown you, you're kind of panicked. And the idea of, like, playing dead and hoping that they think that you're dead doesn't cross your mind. Um, But she does that. She pretends like, like she has succumbed to the water, so he lets her go. And then she pops up. And starts fighting him. Yeah, this was one of those times that I really liked. Um, or I thought they infused Enola's personality and had that playfulness. Because, yeah, it's like he's drowning her. And so you get this upshot in the water. And so you see her face. And she's, like, struggling. And then she just stops. And you're like, no, there's no way. There's no way she's dead. And then she looks at the camera and she winks underneath the water. <laughs> and then hits yeah. him in the face. 
With her head. And she tries out this move, I think it was called the corkscrew, that she doesn't do well. And he like full on kicks her in the stomach. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting how they show, A, they showed her not not being completely equipped to handle it in the moment, but having to adapt to the situation yes. as it happens. And, and, and showing someone not shying away from her like from from bowler hat or linthorn or whatever his name is like he, there is no shying away from yeah. him well, i being guess super he's brutal to her gonna kill one kid what's killing another kid well and that's where this movie it's like that's where it gets a little bit dark where so that's where i'm like oh use your best discretion when showing this to kids because it's like he, he is yeah he treats her very brutally and there's there's like no mercy in it and I think as an audience, we're trained, and I think it's our humanity too. We're like, oh well, no one's gonna beat up a child or a kid, and and this guy has no problem doing that. So it's it's kind of, um, uns- yeah. or it's not kind of, it's very unsettling. But she to gets look the at. upper hand and is able to use the chemicals that are in there that are laying out on the table to um, cause an explosion so that she can get away from him. And she does. She's able to escape. But through this, she decides that, okay, she does have to find Tewksbury. Like, he's in trouble, and she she recalls the time that she almost killed herself trying to save a lamb. And... That her mom told her, you don't have to try to save everything if it's going to come at your detriment. But she's like, I gotta, I gotta find him. Well, and I don't remember if it's here where she says it, but this quote feels right for this moment. Because, yeah, she's trying to decide if she wants to save Tewksbury, help him, because obviously he is in peril. He's in a very dangerous situation. Or continue doing her own, like going after her mother. And there's a quote that Eudoria says in a flashback that says, Paint your own picture, Enola. Don't be thrown off course by other oh, people, yeah. especially men. But I don't remember if that's right at this point. But it feels pertinent to. But she does something that happening. I think is very clever. And she says, If you want to travel uninterrupted, travel as a widow. And so she's in full black, like, morning attire. She spent a lot of money on getting her outfits for this um, deception. Um, but see, but she knew that that was the important thing because it's like the right disguise yeah. makes you invisible and to so the people around you. And so she goes to the mansion and presents herself as Sherlock Holmes' assistant. And that she will help find the missing Viscount. Oh, I found the quote. It says, when looking to travel incognito, it's safest to travel as a widow. People are always anxious to avoid conversation about death. Widows scare them. And there's no better disguise than fear. But of course, Inspector Lestrade is there, who has worked closely with Sherlock Holmes. And is like, uh, Sherlock Mm -hmm. Holmes doesn't have an assistant he works by himself. And so she's like, okay, well, let's, 
I'll tell you three things and you, or let's ask each other three questions and we'll see who knows him best. And the, the uncle who's there is like, no, no, this, we're not playing games. Both of you get out. Yeah, it's like, stop being children. My um, nephew is missing. And yeah, so she, while she's standing outside waiting for her carriage with Lestrade, they do play their little game. And he does believe that she knows Sherlock. And they have this, I don't know if you would call it a bonding moment or the branch almost fell on Tewksbury's head and where he had his epiphany about what he does and does not want to do with his life. And he's built a little tree house up there. And so she's up and she's investigating and she finds, Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Go ahead. I know I have, oh, I have, a she finds that she says, but you go where ahead he's drawn, like he's going to go to the port and he's going to hop on a ship and all this different stuff. And she's like, no, he's not. And then she finds a book where he's pressed some flowers and on the page is Coventry yeah. garden, which is where the big flower. Mark- yeah, so he's obviously laid these diversions about where he's going to go and they have taken them hook, line and sinker. But yeah, so she discovers where he's really going because she discovers, you know, where his true heart lies. And she says, you tickle me, Viscount Tewksbury, you magnificent Marquess of blooming Baselweather. You're a clever, cleverer boy yeah. than I perhaps gave you She's starting for. to have an appreciation for him. And so, so maybe you're not a grandmama, idiot. the Dowinger, comes and finds her there. And she's like, you know, I'm going to have to fire that gardener for giving you his uniform. And she's like... No, I tied him up. And no, I forced him. It wasn't so I his guess fault. you've already found this place. And the Dowinger's like, yeah, you know, we're looking for him. And she's talking about England and how the England that is is the England that must be. And how traditions and customs must be maintained because they're the... Yeah. Because she's talking about the land and being a steward and a like a keeper of the, the tradition land. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Stuff and basically, yeah, basically upholding she's like a lot the of system. Old people that are like, the way I do things is the way everybody needs to do things. Yes, because it's just the way it is. But hold on, real quick, because we kind oh, of um, missed a little chunk. With um, Sherlock, because he's getting more involved at kind of figuring out what's going on. So he goes and visits Edith. And they have a back and forth because he's trying to figure out about where Enola is. And they kind of have this dialogue back and forth. And he says something about, like, I have no interest in politics. Or, no, because she says, you haven't any hope of understanding any of this. You do know that. And Sherlock says, educate me as to why. And Edith, Edith says, because you don't know what it is to be without power. Politics doesn't interest you. Why? And Sherlock says, because it's fatally boring. Edith says, because you have no interest in changing a world that suits you so well. And I think, I don't think that this scene is necessarily very important in the in the in the grand scheme of the story but i think it's very important on the impact it makes because i i thought it was very important that they make that acknowledgement 
Because I think a couple times Sherlock has said something like, oh, this disinterests me. I just I have no interest in this. And at home you're thinking, well, it's because this is a system yeah. that benefits you. Like it doesn't hurt, it doesn't bother you. It's 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 good for you. You thrive in it. Why would you want to change something? And it's been that mentioned a few times, but not not in the foregrunt the foregrunt. Not in it's just in the background of everything that there's this reform bill going through the House of Lords. Yeah, they're trying to and get votes for women. Yeah, you see it in the newspapers and There are people on soap boxes. And one thing that we forgot to mention that Anola did right when she first got into London was she put a coded message in three different newspapers to her mother. And she every day is checking the newspapers to see if her mother has written back to her. And then we also find out that Mycroft is in cahoots yes, with Lestrade. they're looking for her. And so there is the missing Marquis, who the reward for him is 50 pounds. And then there is the missing Enola, and the reward for her is four pounds. So, yes, Enola makes her way back to London, and she does find Tewksbury selling flowers in Cov- Covent Garden. And that's where she's like, hey, you're in danger. We need to get out of here. It's Covent Garden. Let's I said go back it wrong to my place. I said Coventry. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even yeah, hear you. Yeah, so she takes him up to her room, which would have been, like, scandalous. But she's not in a very good area, I guess. It's But it's not even about the area. So this just kind of shows, again, Enola doesn't know the world. Because the, actually, the housekeeper tells the brothers that earlier on. She's like, she she's never been out in the world. She doesn't. She she's she doesn't know her her place in it or she doesn't know how the world can be. So it's like when she goes to the dress shop and the grumpy dressmaker is like, oh, yeah, I know where you can rent some fine rooms. She takes her to this shack. It's like a very run down establishment. And Enola just thinks, oh, yeah, this was I've been told this is a very fine set of rooms. And it's clearly not. But she doesn't know the difference. And then when she brings Tewksbury back to her her rooms i don't think she really thinks no about i don't think that she that does either improper. and that was something that i kind of enjoy but i also was expecting like somebody to burst in and be like you can't bring that boy in here but i was glad it didn't go that way no because there was a little bit of like awkwardness because she like has her undergarments like drying out you know plain sight and so she like moves those but otherwise you know they're just kind of trying to make a plan and trying to figure out, yeah. it's like, okay, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And why would like, they want to do this? This guy's still looking for you. You're in danger. And they think it's the uncle. They think his uncle is the one. Right. Because that is he's the one who would stand to inherit the title and the land and everything. If anything happened to Tewksbury. So as they're having this conversation, they're going in and out of this set of rooms that she has she has like a little kitchen a little sitting area and like a bedroom and they all kind of like serve multiple different purposes so they're going in and out between the rooms and she's like making tea and they're talking and as they're doing that you see the door start to move and you realize someone's in the room with them and when I saw that I didn't know if who it was I thought it was bowler hat dude again but it's actually Lestrade he found Enola and is there to take yes. her to her brother. And the so they have a good for, little Mycroft. fight. Like she's able to push the uh, uh, table or 
chest of drawers in front of the door and hold him off for a while, but she knows that they're trapped. So she tells Tewksbury to get away. Yeah, and we find out, too, that um, the dressmaker is the one that ratted her out. And she's like, when do I get my money? And Lestrade's like, help me, because Tewksbury and Enola are on the other side of the door, like pushing against him it's just him and he's like i need help to get in this room you'll get paid when i when i get her and so yeah so enola sees that this doesn't look good so she knows it's more important for him to get away because his life is in danger so she's like go go and he's like no i don't want to leave you and she's like just go and yelling at him and finally he leaves and when he finally leaves that's when the dressmaker starts to help lestrade to push the door open and they get in and so, later that night, in the carriage, Enola has been returned to Mycroft, and he is... Yeah, he makes her give teased. him all the money, because he says, well, it's my money after all. She, he yells yeah. at her, and makes her cry, and just and adding so she insult is to deposited injury. at the, the finishing school. With Miss Harrison. Where she's told she's missed dinner, but that's okay because yes. she could stand. And to lose a everybody few there has to wear these awful black dresses with these giant collars on them, and and so you think she's at a school like, oh, they're gonna learn arithmetic, grammar, reading, whatever. No, they're learning how to laugh, and and how to walk, embroidery, and, and other the- stuff that ladies need to know. So it's not necessarily. A school, which most yeah. of them for girls back then weren't really schools, because education and expectations Sherlock were very low. Comes women. to visit her, see how she's doing, and she grabs the newspaper from him and is looking through it because it's the first time she's been able to get a hold of a newspaper in a while. And he kind of gives her some advice, and she asks, "Well, why don't you take me on as your ward?" And he's just like, "Nah, no." Mycroft is... He's like, again, I find politics boring. I find being a ward, or I find having a ward boring. Yeah. Like, just, again, and totally detaching. They've talked about some things, like, when they were back at the house, he mentioned to her that she wanted a dog, but she instead had this pine cone that was her dog that she drug around with her. So he brought, he found the pine cone and he brought it to her. And the, it's uh-huh. kind of bonding in a way, I guess, as much as Sherlock bonds. And I think because he kind of gives her some advice and encourages her and says that, you know, he's, he's impressed with her detective skills and what she was able to do. And I don't remember in what context he says this, but he goes, the choice is always yours. Whatever society may claim, it can't control right. you. Yeah, he just literally comes visits, goes, hey, sucks that you're in here, but I gotta go because yeah. I am not completely interested in what's happening. So But bye. let's take a minute and talk about the book series that this is based off of. Let's! Yeah. We are so there are the currently stretch. six books, all written by the same woman, um, Springer, and they've been published between 2006 and 2010. The first book, The Case of the Missing Marquis, and the fifth book, The Case of the Cryptic Crinoline, were nominated for Edgar Awards for Best Juvenile Mystery in 2007 and 2010, respectively. And are do you know what the Edgar Award is? 
Okay, so the Edgar Award is the mystery award. So, like, if you win the Edgar Award, that means you've won, like, okay. best mystery book of the year. So the fact like you've that done it. You've um, really done something. they've been nominated for two different books in the same series, that's pretty good. Um, that means that they're, like, well-respected in everything. Of course, there are plenty of great books that don't get nominated, but... Right. You know. Um, and... It said, when creating the character of Enola, Springer decided to have her as Holmes' sister as she did not see it fitting for Holmes to be a father. And the age discrepancy between the two explained Enola being a mistake child or I guess like a surprise child. Um, And for the name Enola, she researched romantic names of the error and set on the... And set... And set on the one of a town near where she resided at the time. So I guess Anola is the name of a town. And she just happened to figure yeah. out that it also says alone backwards. Huh. Happy coincidence. But she said Sherlock's status as a bachelor and being clueless about women also played a role in the creation of Anola, Because she could blindside him time after time. And then she also stated that uh-huh. Enola is partially based on her own life, that she's much younger than her two older brothers who left for college when she was young. She had an artist for a mother who was talented with painting watercolor flowers. Due to cancer, menopause, and an early, on- an early onset form of dementia, Springer's mother spent less time with her after she turned 14. Further, like Enola, Springer was scrawny, bony, gawky tree climbing tomboy with hair that needed to be washed and was solitary and bookish wow her mom really had a lot yeah happened to her and so basically this movie is i guess loosely based on the first book um but there are some changes so the book's from 2007 and it said when enola's mother disappears Enola calls on her elder brothers, Sherlock and Mycroft, to dismiss her as unimportant. Horrified by her brother's plans to send her to a boarding school and the prospect of wearing a corset, she escapes. Dressed as a widow, she runs across Inspector Lestrade, who works on a case with Sherlock about the disappearance of a young Viscount, Lord Tewkesbury. Nearly blowing her cover, she finds a secret hiding place that seems to be the young Viscount's hideaway. Concluding that he ran away, she sets off to look for him. Upon arriving in London, Enola discovers the city is not the magical place of her imagination. The same people who have kidnapped the Viscount, who has no street smarts, kidnap Enola. After escaping with the Viscount, she bribes a woman to buy them clothing. Hiding in a police station right under Sherlock's nose, Enola runs away, leaving only a sketch of the suspect on the bench. She sends a coded message via the personal column to her mother, who responds that she has gone to live with the... Romani. The epilogue reveals that Enola has taken on two personas. To the poor, she is the mute sister. To the rich, Ivy, the secretary to a private investigator. They they loosely base the movie um, on that. I guess suffragette plotline is not in this. Well, and I like that plotline. And as you know, we'll talk about that more. Because, I mean, mean, we really didn't touch on it that well. But, like, when Enola goes into the tea room and goes upstairs and sees all the women training in combat and self-defense. It's like, that is a room of radical suffragettes. And I think given the time 
that we've been in, especially the last four years, um, with so many things coming to light, having those subtle nods and stories that further, for lack of a better term, the feminist agenda (laughs) is important because it shows girls that are younger, it shows them what should be acceptable and what should be the mainstay. So seeing women defending themselves and being strong and powerful and not backing down or being quieted into a corner. That's really, really important. So I, and also giving a nod to the women that did come before us that, that took those steps so that. But that's one thing I like about adaptations too. It's sometimes a little bit boring if it's like a completely straight adaptation because when somebody writes a book they don't always like you're not always going to have every perfect idea so if somebody can take the book and then go oh you know what fits in really well with this this storyline and add another dimension to it especially since these are young adult books and i don't i don't know if they're young adult or if they're like middle grade books which is even like a little bit younger so layering in some deeper plot lines that's fine with me yeah I think it it causes kids to think and question the world around them and again also learn to expect things as norms and at least in media so in the boarding school Enola is clearly not doing well no she girlfriend is depressed And I would be too. It's a very depressing situation. But she also finds, I won't call them little ways, but she finds ways to assert herself. Ed one is um, by flipping her bowl of green soup, I'm guessing pea soup or something, onto a bunch of girls because they're being judgmental and haughty yeah. about the way Enola's eating and her soup. And she gets a surprise. There is a wicker hamper basket delivered to her. And guess who's inside? It's Tixberry. This is when she looks at the camera Shocking. and she goes, do you have a plan? And we're like, we would love to help, yeah. but this isn't real. And so they do come <laughs> up with a plan. They're going to put Enola in the hamper and he's dressed as a porter. So he's going to take her out. But she's like, no, headmistress is going to see right through this. So what they do is they tell her that it is from Mycroft. And yeah, because there's been like this weird chemistry between Mycroft and Miss Harrison. Like um, there's like there's there's a little sizzle, a little spark there and so when he says it's from mycroft homes she's like oh yes and she's supposed to open it when she's alone okay so this is where we had to this is where we had to do a little cut and splice in our editing because lacy sound stopped recording and now this is take two hopefully this time it works yes pray my headphones don't die So what we were saying before everything stopped working was in the wicker hamper, Enola is hiding and they come up with this really great plan where they're going to, 
At least I think that this was the plan beforehand. Um, it all seems kind of spur of the moment when you're watching it, but I think it was their plan from the beginning that they're going to tell her that this is something from Mycroft and she is supposed to open it by herself. So they take it into her office, or she has two girls carry it into her office, and of course they're doing the whole like, oh, this is so heavy, what's in it? To show how fat Enola is, I guess, or something. <laughs> but like yeah, because they're cutting between the two girls carrying it and Enola inside, and she's like reacting to everything that they're saying. And of course our headmistress is like, oh, it's from Mycroft. Goody, goody. Gosh, willikers. Yeah. And... They take the hamper in there, and in the time that it takes for her to finish whatever little business she was doing and then get into her office to open the hamper, Anola slips out, and in the bottom is just a caricature of Mycroft and our headmistress, and there's, like, little hearts all around it. And, you know, at first when the headmistress opens it, and it's like, oh, this giant hamper for this little bitty note, and then she sees what it is, it's like, Grr, curses! I've been fooled! And they steal her really cool little steampunk car thing. It's a very, very early automobile. It's really cool, though. I like it. I want one to just, like, put around town in. I know. It's like it wouldn't be effective at all, but my goodness, what style? Yeah, I know. Hold on, my door just closed. Are you home? Yeah. Okay, do I have a drink? Yeah. Can I have it? Yeah. I have a drink. You didn't bring me a drink. You're, you're there and I'm here. And it's the logistics are honestly hurting my head. I feel like that's not a good excuse. It may not be a good excuse, but this is the reality. That's life. This is Walgreens. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't, but I'm glad to know now <laughs> Carl wants you to keep it and be going is that my door closed is that my drink can I have it it'll probably go on our blooper reel we have one of those oh, I yeah. told you I don't want to be perceived I, I've people been collecting... can't I can't let people know that I'm funny I've been my collecting god. stuff for a while now my god I'm already good-looking and intelligent People can't know I'm funny. Everyone's just going to be so jealous. And then people won't want to listen because no one wants to listen to a perfect person. And beyond that, I have perfect pitch. So I feel like this isn't a good course of action. But I don't know how to edit. (laughs) So there's nothing I can do. (laughs) So you're not too perfect. Uh, Wait. Did I say I couldn't edit? (laughs) I just mean it goes against my principles (laughs) of being perceived. I don't know what's happening on the show. Oh, Two kids jump out of a window and carjack an old lady's, or she's not old, but a lady, a teacher's car, and they're going to London. Oh, yes, that's right. They get to the the crossroads or the, where the road, the fork in the road. Yeah, well, because she has to make a decision. Is she going to go to London? Because she saved Tewksbury, mm-hmm. or Tewksbury, it's not Barry. Are they going to go back to London and continue the search for her mom? Or are they, or 
she decides they should go to Basil Weather. I question yes. how to say that. She decides that the only way to solve his mystery is to go to his home. And the Tewkesbury Estate. And they get there, and it's dark, and it's creepy, and it's deserted. And he's like, hey, where is everybody? And they realize, or somebody tells them that his mom and his uncle went to London to look for him. But guess right. who's there? The man in the bowler hat. Which Linthorn. Side, side note, real quick. Did he remind you at all, or make you think about the man in the bowler hat from Meet the Robinsons? So many times I wanted to talk about that, but I I kept thinking this is such a long movie that if I go down this whole other road, we are never going to get this recording done. But yes, every time I say bowler hat man, I think about Meet the Robinson. Okay, so just this fast side note, especially if you have kids, but even if you don't, because I don't have kids and I love that movie, watch- If you have a soul. Yeah. Watch Meet the Robinsons. It's so good. And the villain in that has a bowler hat. Okay, back to the movie that we're talks. Our bad guy is there. And he sets up straight away to be like, hey, I'm going to murder y'all. Yeah, so he's like, again, just beating the ever-loving crap out of Enola. And this time, Tewksbury gets in on the fun. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, he's... Th- Go ahead. This is another one of those times where if you are watching it with a younger person, um, just be advised because he like cracks her on the side of the head with the butt of a shotgun and is like he beats her up. Not yeah. terribly, but enough that it is a little bit like, again, you don't expect it. Yeah, it's 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 quite graphic. It's quite violent just given the nature of the rest of the film it's one of the more darker moments um but yeah and we there's blood and like later on he sustains a head wound and it's it's all again just kind of graphic so just be advised if you have if you have young children that might be scary or disturbing to them or something you might not want them he does he literally tries to strangle Tewksbury he pulls out um like a cord it's not a rope, but it looks kind of metallic, and he's strangling him, and Enola is able to save Tewksbury, and they hide. Uh, they have an exchange with Bowler Hat Man, and it's now been several days since I watched the film. I can't remember what the exchange is, but there's there's a little dialogue between... Right. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what they talked about either. Sorry, guys. Um... Uh, it's been a very long week, so we may not be completely on our A-game. Yeah, I think we mentioned at the beginning that there was some family um, health Drama. issues that happened, um, so there's that. But anyway, what we come But to- we do know there is a conversation. Yes. <laughs> People in this movie talk. So you can't say we didn't do our job. But what we do come to find out is that the bad guy is Grandmama. Granny's been the baddie this whole time. And if you go back... Go ahead. Oh, did you see that coming? It made sense because I thought about it when I 
when they were in the woods, or not in the woods, but when they've had that earlier conversation on the property and she was talking about like what a responsibility it was to be an ancestral landowner and it, as the world becomes increasingly unstable she there are all these little clues but also I didn't know if that was too obvious but also you don't think that the grandma's gonna kill her grandson and her son because she had well, her son knocked off too yeah well I mean w- w- people with typical grandmothers might not think that but you True. know we, we don't have typical, we, neither one of our grandmothers were typical. Neither one were murderers. So let me just get that out there before <laughs> the cops come a-calling. But just... We can't say they didn't try. Yeah, I mean, we can't for sure say neither one of our grandmothers killed anybody. But um, we don't know of any for certain. But it definitely was talked about a lot about murdering men. Yeah. Uh, not their children, though. Just depending on the day, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, so she straight up shoots her grandson in the chest with a shotgun. Yeah, so it looks like Tewksbury is done for for a moment. But it's then very quickly revealed that he had a plate. Some kind of metal plate or guard. There was a in- suit of armor that he was hiding behind. And I think he took the plate the breastplate off of that okay yeah so he at first looks like things don't look good and then it's quickly revealed that he is he is in fact okay and yeah Tewksbury's grandma is just extremely conservative she's fearful of any kind of reform that's coming to England so she wants to prevent it at any by any means necessary so that includes killing her son and potentially or what is it called when you almost murder somebody? What do they call Attempted murder. Oh my God. Woo. <laughs> Potential murder. <laughs> Your Honor. The charges. Potential murder. You, this scene could have potentially had a murder. You could have potentially murdered me. This situation could have potentially led to my murder <laughs> and i want justice so one mystery solved yay yeah i just find it crazy i guess i don't find it crazy but it just it seems again a little bit dark for the whole tone of the movie to have this grandma that is so fearful of potentially losing any of her massive wealth or status by any degree that she's willing to kill her own family members to keep it from happening. And I'm assuming that this is how it goes in the book. I haven't read the books, but since the basic storyline, like the missing Marquis, is the premise of the first book, I'm assuming that that's how the book goes. Which, these are young adult books so maybe me even middle grade books but kids books are can be dark i loved dark stuff when i was a kid yeah and she has a she has a line here says my son was a new thinker too never could focus on what was was always thinking about what could be 
I suspect my grandson is the same. England's true glory is what it is. So very much old mindset and progressive new mindset clashing. Yes. But one thing that I did really love is that Sherlock does figure this out and he goes to Lestrade about it and Lestrade's like, oh, wow, yeah, that's great. But your sister told us about it first. <laughs> Always one step ahead, that Enola Holmes. No, and that's why Enola has to get out of the Tewksbury estate very quickly because Sherlock is on the way. She does. She gets back into London and Tewksbury is going to take his place at the, House, the House of, of Lords. Lords and vote. Um, for the reform and there's this really sweet exchange where he's saying you know my mom said you can come stay with us and she said that's a very kind offer but no and he says well when am I gonna see you again and they have this sweet moment where he's holding on to the fence and she puts her hand over his and she's like you're not rid of me yet dude um, and he's actually crying when she leaves and it's just very nice yeah, it shows that they, the two have developed a really deep relationship in a very short amount of time. Because I think they see them, themselves in one another. They see a kindred spirit. They see someone that wasn't fitting into the world around them for whatever reason. And yeah, now they have this really beautiful friendship. And, you know, is there going to be more? I don't know. I like to just think of this as people recognizing each other for who they are. And having that really beautiful connection. Yeah. And it's nice. Plus their children. There's time. Right. I mean, they're 16. So it wouldn't have been like the weirdest thing in that time period. But it wasn't as commonplace then. Mm -hmm. But it's nice that it doesn't have to end on the, oh, now we're boyfriend and girlfriend thing. Yeah, like there's a very sweet exchange. It's it's and he kisses her hand, but it never feels like overtly romantic. It just feels like two people that really understand each other and have come to respect one another. Yeah. I don't think you've ever read any of Terry Pratchett's Discworld books, but they're really great. But in one of them, there is a character who saves a princess. And at the end, he doesn't marry her. He marries somebody else. And somebody asks him about it. And he goes, well, you know, I figured out that just because you save a princess doesn't mean that you have to marry her. And I feel like that ties in with this situation, too. So I, I like it when things subvert that trope. Yeah, what an expansive concept. It's like, oh, oh, I didn't save a princess. I don't have to marry her. I could do other things. Yeah. What? Uh, Writers can make other things happen? Pursue it, other storylines? I will stop. It's okay. Uh, so she goes off down the street. And it's a beautiful day. And she has on this very cute, um, like, cream dress that is oh yes i had a little note about the dress it was oh. actually the costumer's favorite dress of oh. the whole film because it was it was a i can't remember specifically what it let me look it up i'm sorry it was it was a really it just stuck out to me because you said something about her dress and it reminded me and i thought it was a really nice little um 
tie-in artistically to Enola's character. It's a beautiful sunny day and she goes to buy a newspaper. And of course, this is the day where there is an answer from her mother. Or at least we think okay. it's her mother. Go ahead. I can't I can't find the quote about the dress, but basically it's this fabric. It's like an undyed, untreated fabric. And she chose it because it can become anything. Oh, so it's like okay. the raw material raw material that can be turned into anything. And so she thought it was very fitting for Enola at that moment, coming through all of this and on the other side, who is deciding who she is going to be. Enola looks in the newspaper. There's a message from, it looks to be mother. Yes, but she decodes it and it's signed mother. And she said, oh no, I addressed the letter to Chrysanthemum. So she would have signed it Chrysanthemum. Um, and also she wants her to meet at like the Royal College of Arts. I think it was something like that. And she's like, they don't let women in. So why, why would mom want to meet there? This felt like one of those times, cause we'll get to who it was, but that felt like a very big oversight. Again, when you're dealing with someone as brilliant as Sherlock, this felt like something he would have thought about. Well, but he did, because him and Mycroft are standing there. They're the ones who placed the ad answering her letter. Mm-hmm. And Sherlock, or Mycroft, one of them says, do you think she'll fall for it? And they said that, Sherlock said that he thinks that she will see right through it, but that she'll be intrigued enough to show up to see That's what right. was going on. I act like I've never seen this movie and I've watched it three times. But she pays the paper boy um, five pounds to change clothes again. So this is the second time she's had a costume change. So Mycroft and Sherlock are waiting in this location. It's kind of like an open air courtyard. It's a but yeah, thing. And there's like a fountain or a statue in the middle. And they're talking and discussing whether or not Enola is going to show up. But Sherlock tells Mycroft that he, if they ever find her, he wants to be her new guardian. Yes. And Mycroft is like, fine, take her off my hands. Again, just making him very unpleasant. Like, if there's supposed to be a redeeming aspect to Mycroft, I cannot find it. Because he acts like an insufferable ass this entire time. I don't know. He would have had at least a tinge of likability. I don't know. Maybe not. Or familiarity for his sister, some kind of like affection. But, you know, that might be asking too much because there were plenty of, um, I'm sure, loveless relationships. Yeah. In those time periods because women even were him such a burden. Sh- yeah. But even him and Sherlock don't act like they, that there's anything between them. No, it's very much like colleagues. If, even that yeah but it's just I, I'm interested to see because I'm sure there's going to be a sequel um I'm interested to see if they do any more character development with these two characters because I did find both of them while I found Sam Claflin as Mycroft better overall performance I did find both of their performances pretty one-dimensional it's like Mycroft is just like 
stuffy and pissed and an asshole. And Sherlock is in a too tight suit. With his rippling pectorials. Rippling pectorials. Just kind of trying to look noble and distinguished and gentlemanly. But I just, it was very one note for me both. Yeah. Again, Henry Cavill cannot do wrong. It's not his fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's fault. This was a potential murder. (laughs) Um, Of Henry Cavill's career. We need justice. But as they're leaving, because Mycroft is like, I can't wait here longer than 30 seconds. Um, Because I'm a man and I have important business. Man business to do. (laughs) Man business. Um, Sherlock, I almost called him Henry, uh, finds the little pine cone dog sitting on the fountain. Yes. It's, it's her little, it's her little pine cone puppy. So he knows that she's there, but he can't see her anywhere. Um, Yes. And as they're walking out to the street, Mycroft buys a newspaper from a newspaper boy. Who's fallen asleep on the job. But it's not. And they haven't. Because it's a Nola. And she has completely assumed this disguise. Even selling papers for the paper boy. He's like, hey, I get the afternoon off. Cool. Well, I hope she paid him for the papers as well. Because that would be that kid's livelihood. Yeah. He's probably an orphan. Well, newsies were not treated well. So... That if they if you didn't sell papes, you didn't eat. I did a lot of research on this. Also, watch the musical Newsies on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's a good one. Not accurate, but it's fun. Yeah. When I was when I was teaching my kids and I did a study of of the Newsboy Strike. Oh. So I I have random knowledge about this. What you're saying that a Broadway show is not completely historically accurate. I'm saying liberties were taken. It was a potential murder. (laughs) (laughs) That's our t-shirt for this episode. Potential murder. Potential murder. This is the the game's foot. Yeah. Kind of. But because it leaves it very open because it's like she's she has outwitted them. She is on her own doing her own thing. Um, and so it's really kind of up to her now when she wants to seek them out. But it's not the end. Oh, wait. There's Be- more. Because Mama shows up in her room. She found better rooms, by the way. Yes, she did find better rooms. Um, but yeah, she gets in and they said there's a lady waiting for her and her mother is there. And, of course, she's rightfully so pissed at her. Um, Yeah. And her mom's like, oh, you found Dash. And she's trying to tell her the story. And she's like, yeah, Sherlock told me. But she's not quite that sullen about it. But basically, that's what it is. But they they have a nice moment where they hug. And she explains to her. She said, I heard what you did. And... I left so that I could change the world for you, but you're the one changing the world. Yeah. She says, I'm sorry. I wanted to tell you where I was going, but it wasn't safe. 
I didn't leave you because I didn't love you. And that was what Enola was kind of worried about. Um, I left for you because I couldn't bear to have this world be your future. So I had to fight. You have to make some noise if you want to be heard. So very, very stirring comments from Eudoria. And apparently yes. she's still unsafe. Like she's on the lam um, from authorities, somebody in connection with um, these uh, radical feminists, whatever you want to call them, radical suffragettes. Yeah, like using because the word radical. she's leaving again. And she said, you know, if you ever need me, you can place another ad in the paper. Mm-hmm. But... Basically, Enola's on her own, and I think in the book series, she lives in, well, I th- we talked about it earlier, she lives in London, and she works as basically like a private detective. So, they have this great tender moment, they embrace, you know, they reunite only to be, to separate again, because their paths have to part because they're leading them down different, different uh, ways. Uh, but Enola's narration picks up at the end and she's talking about the independence she's gained and how each of her family members now have a separate path that they have to follow and she says to be a Holmes you must find your own path I now see that being alone doesn't mean I have to be lonely mother never wanted that she wanted me to find my freedom my future my purpose I am a detective I am a decipherer I'm a finder of lost souls my life is my own and my and the future is up to us. So very I I love that it ended that way because again it I love how this movie talks to young people in such a plain spoken way but it doesn't feel shoved in your face. It's not preachy. No, but it's very rallying and it's 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 such a great message for kids. Obviously, don't run away from home. But, but set out on your own path and find what, what you need and find who you are and don't, and, and people learn this too late in life, you know, find what makes you happy, what sets, what lights you up and not what you think other people expect of you. Yeah. I wish I had learned that when I was 16. Yeah. And I mean, and, and kids and kids are kids and and there's always that desire to be loved and accepted. We, we never lose that. And when we're younger, it's, it's just so much more because everything's wrapped up in, in, in that because that's our safety, our security is feeling wanted and loved and accepted. So, you know, whether or not the message lands now, I feel like that's something that later on is, would, would come up. So, yeah, that's, that's the end of, our, of, of Enola Holmes. So some random facts. I love them. Yes, the guy who played Mycroft is actually three years younger than Henry Cavill. Yeah, but he was able to age himself quite well. Yeah. Because he definitely came across a lot older. Yeah, he did. The House of Lords debate on the 1884 Reform, the 1884 Reform Act or the Representation of the People Act, as it was formerly known, did not pass by one vote, but was in fact the result of a compromise agreement between the liberal and conservative parties, so it would have passed by a wider margin. Mm-hmm. Typically, votes like that have, they, they, it can't just be like, oh, it won by one. 
normally there's it's like oh it has to have x amount of votes type of yeah. deal i don't know much about english government but just from what i've learned about u.s government i would assume it's typical or um, yeah similar and according to the novels by sir arthur conan doyle the first novel was written in 1887 said that Sherlock and Dr. Watson met in 1881. The movie is set in 1884, and Enola says that Sherlock always works alone, and Watson is nowhere to be found. So the timelines don't quite sync up. Um, but I mean, that's like... I find things like that interesting, but on the whole, it doesn't make a difference. Well, but that leaves room in sequels for Watson to make an appearance. So maybe that could be a potential storyline. Who knows? Yeah. But they, they don't fit together. Um, mm-hmm. Because they, Holmes and Watson would have been working together by this point. Yeah. But, yeah, like again, this is a loose adaptation. It's more about Enola than it is Sherlock. But yeah. Um, and this movie reunites Fiona Shaw, Helena Bonham Carter, and Francis Delator, who are all part of the Harry Potter film franchise. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I mentioned this earlier in the recording, in our recording from the other day. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tewksbury's uncle served in the Afghan war, and this is the same war in which Dr. Watson hurt his leg from which he was recuperating as the Conan Doyle stories began. So, again, time's not really ma- matching up. Um, yes, I think that you did mention that. Mm-hmm. But it, it bears repeating. Yeah. And then this movie had a lawsuit filed against it by the Conan Doyle estate because it claimed that it violated copyright. Now, most of the Sherlock Holmes stories are in the public domain right now, but the later ones where Sherlock expressed emotion and empathy are not in the public domain yet, and they were saying that this movie leaned too much on that, and so therefore they should have been compensated. I'll read a little bit more. They argued this aspect of the character does not fall under the public domain as he was only described as having emotions in stories published between 1923 and 1927. And the copyright for the stories published in that period still has not expired under copyright law in the United States. Cavill said that his portrayal of Sherlock a lot more emotional to begin with, so we paired it back and said, all right, let's not make it too emotional. On the lawsuit, he said, it's a character from a page which we worked out from the screenplay. The legal stuff is above my pay grade. <laughs> On October 30th, 2020, lawyers for the defendants filed a motion to dismiss, saying the estate was unfairly attempting to prevent the fair use of characters that are undeniably in the public domain. In December 2020, the lawsuit was dismissed. Yeah, I didn't find that he had that much emotion. No. So. Oh, last random fact. The young Marquis cannot take his seat in the House of Lords until age 21. Yeah, and he was 16. I wondered about that because I could not remember seeing a teenager taking a seat in the House of Lords. Like, I had never seen that before. I was like, this this isn't 
quite right. But anyway, this film overall got really good reviews. Do you want to read our first one? So the first review we pulled was from Kate Erbland from IndieWire. And the excerpt that I chose says, while some of the hijinks go somewhat slack in the film's middle, 123 minutes is a lot of time to fill, even with so many twists and turns. Enola Holmes and its winning heroine drive straight into an appropriately shocking conclusion that neatly sets up further adventures. Along the way, it establishes Enola and her evolving world as one both entertaining and instructive, a glimpse at a people and place on the cusp of something better and bigger and willing to follow every clue to get there. And then I pulled this one by Peter Bradshaw. I think this one's from The Guardian. And we'll have links mm-hmm. in the show notes. It rattles... It all rattles along amiably enough. Anola Holmes is the kind of all-star production that might once have been made by the BBC and graced the front cover of the Christmas Radio Times. Brown has a nice, easy-going way with the material, cheekily outpacing her famous brother Sherlock here and there, and often doing fourth-wall breaks to smirk at the audience. And I love Miss Harrison's steampunky motor car. I do too. But there Mm -hmm. should have been more specifically ingenious deducting and solving from Enola. Code breaking isn't the same thing. So is Moriarty's supervillain kid sister on the way? (laughs) But I mean, yeah, there could have been more deduction and what we've come to expect from Sherlock. But I kind of like that Enola had her own thing. Yeah, I did too. So I get what he's saying, but just because she is... Sherlock's sister doesn't mean she has to investigate as Sherlock would. Agreed. Especially because she wasn't raised near him, so she would develop her own style. She followed his cases, but she would have grown up finding her own way to solve mysteries and things like that. And then our last one is from RogerEbert.com. Christy Lemire. Lemire? Lemire. Christy Lemire. Or Lemire. Christy Lemire. At over two hours, Enola Holmes does run a bit too long, though. It also turns weirdly violent towards the end in a way that's a jarring shift from the adventures we'd enjoyed previously, which were only kind of scary at times. But hopefully Brown, as both star and producer, will continue to solve mysteries in England between seasons of Solving Mysteries in Hawkins, Indiana. So what rating do you give this? I think I give this a solid B to B plus because I think the story is really fun. Millie Bobby Brown just establishes herself as a leading actor. She can carry a film. She was charming and fun to watch and really engaging And I really liked um, Louis Partridge, or Louis Partridge. I'm not sure how to pronounce his first name. Um, I I really liked their dynamic. I thought that was really great. And I love stories that give kids power and allow them agency and to figure out things for themselves. Um, Again, it did, I will agree with the reviews. I think it did run um, a tad long because, again, it's almost, it's a little over two hours. And that's pretty long. I think it's like 2.03 or something like that and like three mm-hmm. minutes of credits. So, yeah, it's okay. it's long. And 
I enjoyed the two mysteries. It it did get, I think uh, the first review said it, it got a little slack. But um, overall, I think it was really well done. So yeah, solid B+. Yeah, I waver between an A and a B plus because I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Mm -hmm. It came to me at a time when it was like just the perfect thing and it was funny. And yeah, it does have some really great themes in it. Um, Overall, I enjoyed the performances, even if they weren't quite right, but you know, it worked. It was fun. Yeah. And the fact that they, um, it's a period piece, but they have actors of color in it. That was my one bigger gripe. And that's typically my gripe with things that we cover is we did have, I think, two or three actors of color, but not nearly enough. Right. And they were all in smaller roles as well. Nobody was in a leading role. Lestrade was the closest. Uh, Lestrade and Edith. Yeah. I liked it a lot more than I was expecting. I was expecting to enjoy it, but like I said, it it resonated with me more than I thought it would. I think because we're what are adult women except older teenage girls, I think there's a lot in it that we can relate to and it it had me kind of wistful thinking, oh, wow, I wish I had some a movie telling me this when I was younger. But it's also really nice just to watch, like, adventure movies. and. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it was an adventure movie with a girl in the lead. Yeah. That alone says a lot and granted we had we had some great films and great books growing up don't get me wrong but I love how and I think it might have been because Millie Bobby Brown and her sister were producers but it really seemed to speak to younger younger people yeah and I and it's messages that were very clear cut again not forced down your throat but very clear cut and I would have loved that. I think that would have been so beneficial to see that as a as a younger person. Yeah. that's. I guess that's more what I'm saying. I'm not like, oh, man, it sucks that we didn't have good stuff because we did. It just, it would have been nice for something just to say it the way that this film does. Yeah. And I guess to clarify what I was trying to say is even as an adult, it's fun to just watch adventure movies where it's just like Mm -hmm. you know because I think people still dream about it and especially since we're all cooped up in our houses now with the pandemic of just being like Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna you know like the old trope of join the circus and run away type thing Mm -hmm. Um, that's why movies like you know the Goonies are still popular because people want to go on an adventure and since it's kids, it's it doesn't have to be like, oh, we're blowing everything up and there's gunfights and stuff. It's like, no, we're just have clues and we're going on an adventure. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah, it's literally um, Frodo. I'm going on an adventure. Yeah. That yeah, t- very much that. Um, so that's that was just 
just fun and nice, and I like. Yeah, it. and and it's nice to have something that we can recommend to kids. Yes, because you know, since we deal with crime and murder and horror a lot, most of our stuff shows for kids don't come up that often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that leads into our recommendations because I know I have a family-friendly recommendation. I do too. All right. Do you want to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. Yours is at the top of the, of the notes. So I rewatched mine because it had been a number of years and again was so pleasantly surprised by how funny it was and how well it held up. And mine is Disney's That Darn Cat from 1965, directed by Robert Stevenson, starring Haley Mills and Dean Jones. Interesting thing, this was Haley Mills' last movie for Disney and Dean Jones' first movie for Disney. Uh, but it's based on the 1963 novel Undercover Cat by Gordon Gordon and Mildred Gordon. Whoa. They both also worked on the screenplay for this along with Bill Walsh. And it is after a kidnapped bank teller uses a neighbor's wandering cat to send an SOS, the FBI assigns a cat allergic agent to the case. But what I really loved about it was Haley Mills is the catalyst of this story. Because if it wasn't for her, the FBI never would have gotten this tip. And if it wasn't for her, they would have given up on it, and then the bank teller would have been murdered, and the whole thing just goes awry. So it's really her, and we don't know how old she is in it, but she looks to be, like, maybe 18. Um, so she, again, another young person that is taking things into her own hands and um, really moving the story along. And especially, you know, in the 60s, you didn't see that quite so much. <laughs> right. I still have never seen this movie. I, again, I was surprised at how funny it still was. Because I thought a lot of the humor would be super dated. Or I was like, oh, is it going to be really sexist? And there is some stuff, like, you know, viewed through a modern lens. But on a whole, it holds up really well. That's awesome. I remember you watching this when we were kids. Um, there, they did do a remake of it that I want to watch that's streaming on Disney Plus with Christina Ricci. So, um, huh. love her. I, th I do love Christina Ricci. Who's the dude in it? Oh, it's from 97. That, it's from 97. Oh, Dean Jones has a small part in it. Um, it is Doug E. Doug. Is the FBI agent in the remake. Dougie Doug. Dougie Doug. I know that name. Why do I know that name? I remember watching Hold that on. one once, but I haven't rewatched it, so I don't know. But um... maybe that's the one you rented, because I remember you watching one. Okay. I remember him. Okay, so hold on. He was in Cool Runnings and Operation Dumbo Drop. Remember those? Yeah, I do. I just watched Cool Runnings um, with Carl. He had never seen it before. I honestly don't know how he missed that one because that was like th one of the kids' movies of the 90s. I know. Uh, my roommate and I were like, how have you not seen this? Everyone I have talked to has seen that movie. And Carl has seen a ton of things. So I was shocked that that one passed him by. But it was fun to get to revisit it. Yeah. So what is your recommendation? 
So my recommendation, again, is a family-friendly option. And I haven't seen it, but it's one where I want to see it. So I'm recommending it to myself and to our listeners. But it is Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase from 2019. So this is a, an adaptation of the famous Nancy Drew series by Carolyn Keene. And it is directed by Kat Shea. Written by Nina Fiore and John Herrera. Obviously, again, based on the book series by Carolyn Keene. It stars Sophia Willis, who is from It. She played Beverly. So that's why it kind of got on my radar. Because I will tell you, finding recommendations for this movie, movies like this movie, is very difficult. Yeah, what I kept getting was Knives Out... That was the number one thing that if I was searching for movies like Enola Holmes or something like that, it was always Knives Out or just other mm-hmm. random Netflix stuff. And it's like, um, I'm sorry, just because it's on Netflix doesn't mean that it's like another Netflix movie. Right. So I legitimately went to Google and I did quite a while of research and I came upon this one. It has pretty good reviews. Again, it's a movie made for younger kids. Uh, but yeah, let me get through this list of people that are in this movie. So Sophia Willis, Zoe Renee, and Mackenzie Graham are um, Nancy, uh, George, and Beth. Bess. Bess. Oh my God. It's been so long since I've read those books. So Bess. Um, but the synopsis is a bit of an outsider struggling to fit into her new surroundings. Nancy and her pals set out to solve a mystery make new friends, and establish their place in the community. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Um, There was also a Nancy Drew movie with Emma Roberts, but I haven't seen that one either. I looked at that one. Not, it did not do great. It doesn't have great reviews. So I just decided to go with this one because, not that reviews mean everything to me, but I, I do like to read them and kind of take them into consideration. And this one just seemed like a better fit for what we were doing. Well, and Sophia Willis is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. she was she was amazing in it. Yes. Yes. I really enjoyed her performance. So, again, looking for things that um, have actors that I like in it made sense why to pick or made sense to pick this one. Yes. Um, also, I like that it's directed and written by women. Anything else you feel like we should cover? I think we're good. I think this is going to be a good meaty episode. So I think they're going to have a lot to chew on. Yeah, it is. Uh, custom cocktail recipe will be in the show notes. So go there to check that out. And make one. And, and as right. always, if you have questions or anything, feel free to get in touch with us. All the info's at the end of the show. All right, we'll see you next time where we will have a special guest talking about a special movie. Yes, we'll get nice and freaky for February. Wow, that is misleading, but okay. Freaky in the, like, I'm really freaked out because this is scary way, not freaky in the other freaky way. Well, I was more thinking of the movie Freaky. It sounded like we were covering that. Oh, no. I do want to see that. I've heard it's really good. No, but this next one, guys, it's it's scary. And it's a, it's a slow burn, and it sits with you, and it gets scarier the longer you sit with it. So 
look forward to that. <laughs> You're welcome. This is this yeah. is a patron's choice episode. So if you don't like it, then we didn't. Well, pick that it. sounds like we're blaming Doug. <laughs> <laughs> We're not blaming him. This is a great movie. It's fantastic. I'm just saying I didn't sleep. No, it's it's really good. We'll we'll talk to y'all about that next time. <laughs> Everybody say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Fems. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Fems and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Fems. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.